Welcome to One Life Online, a podcast that brings you the weekly sermons at One Life Church Kampala. In this episode, we listen to a sermon from Matthew chapter 7 verses 1 through 12, titled, Ask, Ask, Seek, Knock, presented by Martin Muchoki. As you listen to this message, may the Lord speak to you through His Word, by His Spirit, and cause you to walk according to His will, by His grace. Matthew chapter 7, I'm going to be reading from verse 1 to verse 12. If you are there, I invite you to stand up as we take the reading of God's Word. From Matthew chapter 7, verse 1 to verse 12. Please follow with me in all the varieties of Bible versions that are present. Do not judge so that you will not be judged. For in the way you judge, you will be judged. And by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye? but do not notice the log that is in your own eye. Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye and look, the log is in your own eye. You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give what is holy to dogs and do not throw your pearls before pigs, or they will trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or what person is there among you who, when his son asks for a loaf of bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, he will not give him a snake, will he? So if you, despite being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? In everything, therefore, treat people the same way you would want them to treat you, for this is the law and the prophets. Our gracious Heavenly Father, may your word have a free course in our hearts today. Speak to us and help us to understand it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. May the Lord bless the reading of his word, and may the Lord bless our time together today. Do not judge. These are words that you have likely heard a lot about. That don't judge me. First, remove the speck that is in your own eye before you can remove the log that is in your brother's eye. Look at these photos that I found on the internet here that speak about having a log on your eye. That is a doctor trying to treat a patient. Let me take the speck out of you. Oh yeah, let me remove the speck from your own eye. The woman is shocked, isn't she? Can't you see that there's a log in your own eye? The guy is ready to hammer. And this guy wants to remove that small speck that is basically unnoticeable. These pictures paint a vivid picture of the text that we are looking at today. Do not judge, Jesus begins by saying. What does this mean to judge? Does it mean that you can absolutely never tell anyone that they are wrong? Does this mean that you can never approach anyone and tell them where they are going astray? Does this mean that you can never analyze anyone in any given situation? What does Jesus mean? The judge that he's talking about here in verse 1 means to condemn. Do not condemn. Do not judge harshly. 
He's talking about unfairly judging. Do not be self-righteous. Do not be finger-pointing. Do not be censorious. Do not be fault-finding. Do not be over-critical. Do not be hyper-critical. Do not even be hypocritical, as he mentions in these verses. Do not be extremely critical of others, Jesus says. Don't stand in that position of a judge in this kind of way. But there's another kind of judging that can be, that is inferred from these verses. And this applies to those people who say, you can never at any time examine a person. This word judge can also mean to analyze, to evaluate, to discern, to examine, to present a fair judgment, to right, rightly judged. It can mean what is just, a necessary investigation. All of these are done with a gentle and with a humble spirit. There is a sense in which in our life we cannot live without discernment. We cannot live without analyzing situations. We cannot live without evaluating matters. But the way that these words are used today, they're used to mean I can do what I want, when I want it, how I want it, with who I want it, in the way that I want it, and you have absolutely no right to tell me anything. It doesn't matter if I'm walking into a ditch or I'm walking into a hole or I'm, or I'm living wrongly. You have no right to tell me anything. And to some degree, the person who would say that may be correct. Look at this in, uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. It's not there on the slideshow. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Paul writing to the Corinthians says, it is reported among you that there is sexual immorality of such a kind as, that, as does not exist even among the Gentiles, even among those who do not fear God. Namely, that someone has his father's wife. You have become arrogant and have not mourned instead, so that the one who had done this deed would be removed from your midst. For I on my part, though absent in my body, but present in spirit, have already judged him who has so committed this as though I were present. You people in the Corinthian church are not able to discern this issue, are not able to look at this issue. There is no one bold enough to be able to see this is manifold wickedness. This is utterly sinful. This should not be done in the church. This issue needs to be judged and judged appropriately. And then skipped all the way to verse 9, where he says, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. I did not mean, I did not at all mean with the sexually immoral of this world or with the greedy and swindlers or with idolaters, for then you would have to leave the world. But actually, I wrote to you not to associate with any so-called brother if he is sexually immoral or greedy or an idolater, or is verbally abusive, or habitually drunk, or a swindler, not even to eat with such a person. For what business of mine is it to judge outsiders? Do you not judge those who are within the church? But those who are outside, God judges. Remove the evil person from among yourself. So as believers, we have that mandate from Christ to be able to evaluate one another to be able to examine one another rightly and to be able to point out whenever someone is doing something that is not consistent with the word of God, with the will of God, with what God requires. But to do that, we need to exercise sober judgment. It needs to come from a meek spirit, a humble spirit, a broken spirit. In the church, you talk of church discipline. Church discipline is normally aimed at being restorative. And nobody wants to do it. I never want to do it as a pastor. No elder wants to do it. No church leader wants to do it. It is painful because this is your sheep and you love them and you care about them. Furthermore, you are looking at your own self and you know I am not without sin. But nevertheless, it is necessary and it has to be done for those people who have been adamantly rebellious and sinful in their sin. So Jesus says, do not be extremely critical of others. Why does it say, do not judge harshly? Verse 1. 
so that you will not be judged harshly. It is as simple as that. It is as simple as that. Throughout life, on separate occasions, you will always be on, on different ends of this issue. You may be evaluating someone. At, at a certain point, you would be evaluated. You would be analyzing someone. You would be analyzed yourself. You would be examining someone with a fair judgment. Someone would also be examining you. It just so happens that nobody can sit on one end of this paradigm and only be at the point of pointing fingers at others. And so remember that one day when it comes to you, when it comes to you being analyzed or examined, how would you want that to be done? Then do that to this other person. And therefore, what Jesus is saying is that judge, evaluate, criticize in the same way you would want to be judged, to be evaluated, to be criticized, to be investigated. Because every judgment that you undertake is a foundation, is a premise, it's a basis. The legal word is, it's a precedent for your own judgment. In the way that you judge, verse 2, you will be judged. By, the, by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. With the same measure you use, it will be measured back to you. This is the basis of the command. If you, if you are one of those people who likes to put a finger on the, on the scale, you will not get away with it. If you point fingers at people, then you remember, oh, three fingers are actually pointing back to me. The question then is, how are you judging? How am I judging? Which measure are you using? The correct measure is the measure that is detailed in the word of God. In fact, the correct measure is the very word of God. The right way is always Jesus' way. How was Jesus, how did Jesus measure, analyze, evaluate the people that he came across? To Zacchaeus, he was forgiving. To the lepers, he was compassionate. To adulterers, he was merciful. To his enemies, he was loving. To the hungry, he satisfied them. To the guilty, he was big-hearted. To friends, he was caring. To unbelievers, he was evangelistic and patient. To all of you here, he was that and even much more. He is that and even much more. He is gracious. He is kind. This is the correct measure, brothers and sisters. Being compassionate, forgiving, loving, satisfying the hungry. Being big-hearted and being generous. Luke adds, as he's presenting this sermon on the mount, in Luke chapter, chapter 6, verse 37 to verse 40. This should be on the slides. He says, he adds in verse 37, do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive or pardon and you will be pardoned. Give and it will be given to you. They will pour into your lap a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. For by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. It will be given to you in return. He's talking about generosity. Generosity in spiritual ways, generosity in physical ways, generosity in material ways, generosity in emotional ways, generosity in every single way that you can be generous. If you are generous, then you will receive and he uses here a market illustration of grain measurement when he talks about good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. As if you've taken grain and you've poured it somewhere, then you've pressed it down to create more space, then you have added even more, then you have shaken it together and pressed it down again, and then you have even made it to overflow. Some of you go to the market and you have one of those market vendors who are your friends or you're their customer, so maybe you are not, and you buy something and, and they give you what? Nyongeza. Isn't that the word? I'm giving you something extra. You don't deserve this. We agreed for one tomato for 2,000 Uganda shillings. I'm giving you three tomatoes for 2,000 Uganda shillings because of my generosity, because of my love, because of my benevolence. And at this time, people would sometimes carry grain on, on their clothes. They didn't have necessarily a measuring can. So as you, as you pull out your, 
your, your cloak like this, they, they put the grain and it's, it's overflowing and you have to tighten it at the top and you have to carry it. Jesus says this is the idea of generosity that we should have toward one another. After all, do you not like it when someone is that generous to you? If someone measures things to you in that kind of a way. Verse 39 of Luke. He spoke also a parable to them. Really a proverb. A person who is blind cannot guide another one who is blind. It's not possible. They will fall into a ditch. A student is not above the teacher, but everyone when he has been fully trained will be like his teacher. False teachers develop false disciples. And as the Pharisees listen to the teaching of Jesus, they have to be struck by these words because it is not the first time that he will tell them this. So Jesus says, in the measure that you judge, you will be judged. So use the appropriate measure. Use the right standard of measure. Then he asks a question that does not need an answer, a rhetorical question. Why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye but do not notice the log that is in your own eye. Your version may say, moat. Why do you consider the moat that is in your brother's eye? But you do not consider the beam, the log. Remember that picture? The beam, the log that is in your own eye. Even the construction of the verses here is, why do you look? As if you are zooming into it, as if you are looking for that small speck there that can barely be seen. You are zooming in on the small issue. But you do not notice this is so obvious you should be able to recognize it. There is a log in your own eye. There is a beam in your own eye. The idea is you are, you, are, you are seated around a table somewhere having food or in a restaurant and you have a small crumb of bread right here on your cheek. And, and, and I know some people have you know, OCD and maybe you are a perfectionist and you can't just stand anything small being in the wrong place. It's a different issue altogether. But someone has a small bread crumb right here. But as you smile to them, you expose all the remainders of sukumawiki or dodo or nakati, or those beans that we eat that sometimes leave the skin of the bean on the teeth. Hey, listen, first remove this. And then you can remove this. Sometimes it is involuntary. When you notice, when you're talking to someone and they have something stuck on their teeth, you likely do this. You clean your own teeth, and then you're like, oh, by the way, you have something on your teeth. Now, that's a right application of what Jesus is saying, of the hyperbole that Jesus is giving here. Jesus knew how to use these figures of speech appropriately. Hyperbole is exaggeration, use of exaggeration for effect. I mean, you don't expect to meet with someone on a day-to-day basis with this thing, sticking out of their eye, hopefully not, unless there has been a serious disaster or a serious accident. How can you say to your brother, verse 4, let me take the speck out of your eye. Let me, let, me, let me pull it out. Again, look at the language. Let me pull it out. This thing is, how can you be having this? You need to pull it out. Behold. I like that word, behold. Some translations have decided to keep that word in their translations. And they explain why they have decided to keep behold and not, free, and, and not use see or look. Because it calls your attention to it. Behold, there is a log in your own eye. Luke adds, a log in your own eye that you yourself do not see. How can you be so blind to such a big reality? You hypocrite, verse 5. Ah, now, the person that Jesus is addressing comes to the fore. Jesus is addressing this person who is the hypocrite, who is the pretender, who is the mask wearer, this person who is inconsiderate, who is insensitive. And he says, first take the log out of your own eye. What happens when you do that? What happens when you first examine your own teeth before you tell your friend about their own teeth? Is that you are able to see clearly, isn't it? You're able to approach them with a certain level of humility and meekness and gentleness. That's what verse 5 says. You see clearly to be able to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Jesus is saying two things. First, 
Start by a proper evaluation of yourself. Start by a proper evaluation of yourself. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5 says, test yourself. Examine yourself. Prove yourself. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 3 says, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind. Approach that situation in that way. Correction itself is not bad, isn't it? Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews says, we've had human fathers who corrected us. It's a great act of love when you correct your children and you discipline your children. It's not bad by itself. Yet let it emanate from a humble spirit that first is well aware of its own inadequacy. So that I am perfect, I've evaluated myself as well, but I really have to say this. I really have to tell you. One of the greatest acts of love, someone said, that you can give to someone is actually a rebuke. And you say, rebuke? No, yes. Remember Nathan, when he went before David? That was an act of love. To be able to say, there is a hole right there and you're going to walk into that hole. I can see that you're walking directly into that hole. And you're going to fall into that hole. If you don't want that person, Ezekiel said, Ezekiel was told by God, then their blood is on your own hands. But if you want them, and they don't listen, then you are free. Of course, the attitude also matters. It's not like there's a hole there. Uh, yeah, there's a hole. No, they, I care about you. I don't want you to do this. I am holding your hand and I am mindful of you. Again, in a similar way that you do to your children. You, you shield them and you protect them and you care for them. Start by a proper evaluation of yourself. Number two, sustain that by soberly removing the speck from your brother's eye. I mean, the issue is still there. The speck is still there. I don't know how those small splinters and specks bother when they get into your skin. You, sometimes you can't even sleep. You can't do anything. It's just a, a splinter, just a small piece of wood on your skin. How much more if it is in your eye? Ever had a dust particle in your eye? You try to rub your eye, you can't remove it. People advise and they say you need to cry. <laughs> when you cry, the eyes, um, the tears wash any dust, any dirt from the eyes. And that piece of dirt will come out. So the issue is still there, the problem still exists. It is a bother to the person. But sometimes the person can't see it. Other times the person can't be able to remove it by him or herself. And that's why you are there to have their back, to warn them. When you read about the armor in Ephesians chapter 6, ever notice there is one part that is not covered? The back. It's nothing for the back. No, I believe God left it like that deliberately so that we watch each other's back. I think the Americans say, I have your six so that we can take care of each other, so that you can, there are things that you cannot see. You know, all your life, however many years you will live, there are parts of your body you will never see, like the back of your head, you will never see it. Like your back, you will never see it with your own eyes. <laughs> Maybe through a mirror, yes, through a picture, yes, but you can't see it like the way I can see this bottle. But someone else can, and they can help you. So we sustain that by removing the speck from the brother's eye. Otherwise, we end up judging harshly. In Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1, which was read by David in his preaching two weeks ago, he said, um, if, if you find your brother is in a particular kind of sin, be gentle. Be gracious, lest you also be tempted and fall in the same sin. That danger is real and it results from judging harshly. And so the issue is not judging, but a proper understanding of do not judge. Furthermore, as Jesus will say in verse six, you have to judge between what are dogs from what are not dogs, what are pigs from what are not pigs. In verse 16, which we will come to next Sunday, uh, he will say, he will talk about false prophets and true prophets. You have to exercise discernment. 
to know is this a false prophet? Is this a true prophet? Is this a true teacher? Is this a false teacher? That baby that is going out now with Carla. We went to visit Carla at her, um, where she has a mission in Mitiana. And she says God sent her here to save babies. One of these days she'll come and give a testimony, but God sent her here to save babies. She works in a very hard area that is full of witchcraft, and children with special needs are basically thrown away. And when we went to visit that Carla, was it a month ago now? She had just gotten that baby. There are no pictures. But the baby was thrown, was it in a fireplace? Or somewhere, and, and he had scars, and nobody took care of the baby. She came today with the baby. It is amazing. She has nursed the baby. She never let the baby out of her arms. And this is just one of them. She has 24 that she's taking care of. There are others she has taken care of, and they are, they are now well able. I just saw her and remembered that. I'm always humbled by what such kinds of people do. She has no support. And she doesn't want to institutionalize what she does. She's just happy to do it. And God providentially provides. I mean, I'm so blessed to be part of this church, aren't you? We have people that not only speak their faith in words, but live it out in action. And what she does, I cannot. And some of you cannot. But God has given her that grace. Jesus says in verse 6, Do not give what is holy to dogs. Do not throw your pearls before pigs. The sacred here, or the holy, is figurative of the gospel, of the word. Some even say of spiritual gifts. Dogs were undesired wild scavengers in Palestine. I believe they are even so, even in modern day. They're just disregarded. Some of us keep dogs as pets and we love them. Or you have a dog as a guard dog and we take care of them. Not so at that time. Remember when David went to fight Goliath? What Goliath said of David in 1 Samuel chapter 17 and verse 43? The Philistine said to him, am I a dog? That you send someone with sticks to come and fight against me. Proverbs chapter 26 and verse 11, talking about a dog, says it's like a dog returning to its own vomit. Now you take something holy and you throw it to that, don't do that, Jesus says. Don't throw your pearls. What is precious? The gospel is very precious. The word of God is very precious. Don't take it and throw it to swines, to pigs. In Leviticus chapter 11 and verse 7, it tells us that pigs are unclean animals. And God told his people, here are the animals you should not eat. And one of the animals was a pig. No. Uh, yeah. So we are in the new covenant now. You can eat a pig. <laughs> I know most of you enjoy, enjoy pork. So please don't go out here saying the pastor said we should not eat pig. Um, in Acts chapter 10, uh, Jesus appeared to Peter and said, eat. And Peter said, I cannot eat what is unclean. Jesus said, don't call what I call clean unclean. We are in a new covenant by the grace of God. So eat it if your conscience allows, by the way. So your conscience may not allow, so you can, you can leave it. But pigs were unclean animals. They trample everything underfoot. They are scavengers. They do not value what is valuable. They will actually turn and tear you to pieces. Don't give the gospel to people who reject the gospel is what Jesus is saying. Don't continually present the word of God to people who reject it. Don't continue to give the gospel to those who adamantly, obstinately, deliberately, pridefully reject, mock, scoff, resist, and hate it. The gospel is very precious. The word of God is very precious. And they continue to mock it and abuse it and reject it. Leave them alone. Lest someone gets 
defensive or apprehensive or offensive? Are you saying that we should not evangelize to unbelievers? Not four things. Number one, you're not more loving than God. I am not more loving than God. And it is actually God who says, don't do this. I am not more merciful than God. Sometimes we think we are, but we are not. He's the most merciful person, capital P. Number two, not only that I'm not more loving than God or more merciful or gracious than him, Jesus is talking about gospel enemies, not unbelievers. The enemies of the gospel. People who are obstinate in terms of rejecting it. Number three, this does not contradict what he said in chapter 5 and verse 44 about dealing with enemies. No, it doesn't contradict it. We are supposed to deal with enemies in the light of God's common grace. Jesus is emphasizing respect for the sacred, not giving that which is precious to dogs or to pigs. And number four, Jesus and the disciples actually exercised this. Yes, they did. That's just a few chapters after this, in chapter 10 and verse 14. Jesus will tell his disciples, whoever does not receive you or listen to your words, as you leave that house or city, shake the dust off your feet. He will say in chapter 13 and verse 53 to verse 58, when he is rejected in Nazareth, he did not many miracles there. Because they rejected him. They did not want to hear from him. The disciples also in the book of Acts, for example, in chapter 13, verse 45 to verse 52, they were rejected. Paul and Barnabas were rejected, and they said, we are now turning to the Gentiles. And they shook the dust off their feet. And they said, you have deliberately refused to re listen to the gospel. You have rejected God. Then God has also rejected you. In Acts chapter 18, and they refused to listen to the gospel. Paul said, your blood be on your own hands. I am clean. In fact, from now on, I'm going to go to the Gentiles. In Acts chapter 28, the same. And so on and so forth. They rejected Jesus at many points in time. They wanted to kill him. What did Jesus do? He left those people alone. And he went and preached somewhere else. They rejected him in his own hometown of Judea. Southern part. And he went and lived in Galilee. And most of his ministry was there. His ministry headquarters was in Capernaum, not in Nazareth. So this verse, if you have ever struggled to understand what it means, it means simply that. Don't give what is precious. What is precious here is the gospel. It's the word of God. To those people who obstinately, deliberately, adamantly, continuously reject it, mock it, scoff it, abuse it, resist it. Oh yes, present it to unbelievers, but not to that category. Leave them. They may turn around and actually devour you. They may kill you. And the point in evangelism is not to die, isn't it? Jesus said, if they persecute you in this city, flee to another city. The point is to evangelize, not to die. Unless it's necessary to die. Now, verse 7, ask, seek, knock. It's the title of my sermon, isn't it? A-S-K, ask. The A is for ask, the S is for seek, the K is for knock. Ask, seek, knock, and it will be given to you. If you need discernment in regarding to judging, what are you going to do? You're going to ask, Jesus says. You're going to seek. You're going to knock. There is a connection here, by the way. You cannot just take verse 7 and assume Jesus has all of a sudden changed his trajectory. No, he has not. If you need discernment in terms of judging, evaluating, analyzing, ask, seek, knock. If you need Understanding, enlightenment on when to stop presenting the precious gospel to those who hate the truth that it presents and who oppose and resist it obstinately. Ask, seek, knock. God, is this the right time to just oppose, to just leave these people who oppose your gospel? But number three, Jesus tells his beloved disciples, for all the needs, for all the desires that you have, ask. Ask and do not lose hearts. Seek and do not lose hope. Knock and do not lose faith. In fact, the tense that is used here is a continuous tense. As in, keep asking. Keep knocking. Keep seeking. In Luke chapter 11, where um, a parallel of this is recorded, in verse 5 to verse 8, Jesus says to them, suppose one of you has a friend. And the friend goes to him at midnight and says, lend me three loaves. 
There's a visitor who has come to see me. I need bread to be able to serve him. And from inside, he answers and says, don't bother me. The door is already shut. My children are in bed. I cannot get up and do anything. Now, most of our homes have sitting rooms and bedrooms and so many rooms that we have. At this time, their houses had maybe a room or just two rooms. That was just it. So the children would sleep there, the parents would sleep there. And so this father is imagining, and they had many children at that time, I have to wake up, I'm going over people's bodies, I'm going to wake everyone up. And you know, especially if you have small children, you don't want them to wake up at night. And then I have to go and open the door, a rickety door, likely. This is first century. <sighs> Furthermore, I don't wake up at night. You wake up... Yesterday, my dogs started fighting each other. We have one dog, but a neighbor of ours gave us two dogs to, to take care of them while she sorts out, you know, their accommodation and all that. So, so now we have three male dogs. Ah, they started fighting at 1 a.m. I couldn't go back to sleep. I don't even think Victoria went back to sleep. But I woke up and just went to the sitting room to, to study the word of God and pray. I mean, I couldn't go back. You know how it is. The sleep is disrupted. This man is thinking, you've disrupted my sleep. But if he will not go because he loves his friend or because he's called to be generous, he will go because this person will keep. I need bread. There is a visitor at my house. You have to give me bread. I have nothing to serve him. There is nothing I need. You have to help me. You have to help me. You have to help me. He will keep asking and seeking and knocking and knocking and I'm making this noise deliberately. Why? Because he's in desperate need. So the owner of the house will have to wake up and go and help. Because of persistence is what Jesus is talking about. Persistence. It's the loving promise of a father that if we ask, we will receive. If we seek, we will find. If we knock, the door will be opened unto us. Then in verse 9, Jesus gives an example from life. He says, which one of you, uh, where am I? Which one of you, when his son asks for a loaf of bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, he will not give him a snake, will he? At this time, small loaves, which you can call buns, looked like stones in shape and color. So perhaps someone would confuse it, but a loving father would not. Sometimes snakes look like fish, you know, like eels. It's a snake, you find it in water, and you think, it's a snake in water. No, it's just a fish. A loving father will not confuse the two. Luke adds, in Luke chapter 11 and verse 12, which one of you, if his son asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you have ever had bad encounters with scorpions or seen scorpions or seen scorpions on television or whatever, you know that it is not a friendly encounter. God will always give his children what is right for them. In the same way earthly parents do not give their children what is harmful, in the same way that earthly parents do not trick their children by giving them what will harm them. Cannot ask for an egg and you give them a scorpion. God does not promise that he will give bread or even fish or an egg every time that we ask it. Oh, God has always to give this. But as we seek, as we ask, and as we knock, he promises that he will never give you a stone in place of a bread, or a scorpion in place of an egg, or a serpent in place of a fish. God will never give us anything that harms us. Never. He's a loving father. He's a good, good father. Jesus asks, if you then being evil... And you say, oh, I'm not evil, I'm actually good. Hey, look at all the things I've done. Well, the scripture consistently teaches that we are totally depraved. We are naturally sinful. We are corrupted by sin. Yet we know how to give good things. What is not harmful to our children? How much more will your Father in heaven give good things? Which good things does Jesus have in mind? Ah, Jesus will make us rich. Jesus will make us have the one, two, three, four, five, six lifestyle. Do you know that lifestyle? Where you have one wife or one husband and you have two children 
preferably a boy or a girl, in whichever format people prefer. And you live in a three-bedroomed mansion. One bedroom for you, one for your son, one for your daughter. And you drive a four-wheel drive car. And when you go on vacations, you go to a five-star restaurant. And when you check your salary at the end of the month, it's six-figure. One, two, three, four, five, six lifestyle. Jesus promises he will give us the one, two, three, four, five, six lifestyle. Praise the Lord. No. <laughs> Although it is a good lifestyle, isn't it? That one, two, three, four, five, six lifestyle. Maybe I should come up with something for seven. The good things he has in mind are spiritual blessings, holiness and righteousness, and knowledge and wisdom and understanding and direction. I think these are more valuable than, than material physical things because we are making decisions every day. And decisions are very crucial. Even if you are, you are just employed in an organization or you have a business, you know every decision that you make is really, really crucial. What you need more is wisdom. Like Solomon said, someone, Solomon prayed, give me wisdom, give me understanding, give me discernment. Whatever you ask, I will give it to you. What would you have asked for? Whatever is pressing you right now, maybe. There were certainly issues pressing Solomon at that time, but he understands if I have the big things, the small things will take care of themselves. Luke says, how much more will your Father in heaven give you the Holy Spirit, who is the greatest gift that we can ever receive? What is the conclusion of all of this in verse 12? Verse 12 is the golden rule. In relation to, to judging, in relation to asking, in all of Jesus' teaching, you can take and summarize it with this one rule that has been called the golden rule. Basically, it means love one another. Oh, and by the way, this, this, was not, this is not constrained to Christianity only. This is not special to Christianity only. This was not special to Christ or to Jesus when he was presenting it. It exists in every culture in one way or another. It exists in religions in one way or another. It even existed in Jesus' day. The only difference was that it was put in the negative. Something like this. Do to others as they do to you. Or do not do to others what they do not. It is put in the negative. Or do not do to others what you do not want done to you. One rabbi he was called Rabbi Hillel, phrased it like, what is helpful to yourself, do to no other. So what you do, you're looking at the other person. Okay, if that person is good to me, I'm going to be good to them. If that person is kind to me, I'm going to be kind to them. If that person is evil to me, I'm going to be evil to them. If that person is gracious to me, I'm going to be gracious to them. Put in the negative. Jesus puts it in the positive. Whatever you wish that others do to you, do also to them. In everything, treat people the same way you would want them to treat you. I have an uncle who likes to remind me this every time that we meet in conversation. It will always come up. You know, Martin, so I'm quoting, this is not my words. You know, Martin, I tell people, you have to do to others as you would want them to do unto you. And I will continue to do good to others as I would want them to do unto me, even if they don't do it. So he always adds, even if they don't do it, I am going to do it. I think he's repeated it so many times in my ears, such that I have taken some kind of application from that. It's exactly what Jesus is saying. Do good to others, even if they don't do it. And when you expect nothing in return, the greatest way that we can be able to give, to be generous, in physical, material, in spiritual things, is to give when we can have nothing in return. It feels good, doesn't it, when you give to someone who you know cannot be able to give you back. And I'm not giving because I know they can't give me back, but it's just flowing from the abundance of my heart I am giving. And so this summarizes everything that Jesus is saying. So don't judge. In the same way that you judge, that you condemn, that you criticize harshly, it will likely happen to you. 
Ask, seek, knock. Keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. God promises it shall be given to you. Do not continue to present the gospel or the word of God to people who are obstinately rebellious and reject it and scoff it and mock it. Don't throw your pearls to pigs or what is most precious to dogs. Don't do it. And lastly, to summarize all of this, do to others as you would want them to do to you. So this is a good thing to practice this coming week, isn't it? Let's stand up and sing one more song. And then we shall close our service at that point. Father, we thank you for these scriptures that come from a loving Savior, a caring Lord, a wise Master. We pray that you would help us think more about them that we don't finger point, that we don't harshly condemn, that we have a big heart. And when we have to analyze or evaluate or investigate, that we would do it with sober judgment, that we would first examine our own hearts and our own mind. Help us that we would look at the speck in our brother's eye as meaning little to nothing compared to the log that is in our own eye. And first remove that one and then graciously approach our brother or friend to help them. Give us wisdom and discernment to know when not to preach the gospel to those who reject it continuously. Hear our prayers when we seek when we ask, when we knock. Every prayer, every form of prayer that is in accordance to your will, every form of prayer that is submissive to your will, hear and help us. For married people whose marriages are struggling, help them to continue to ask and seek and knock. And you promise that you will give, that you will answer, that you will provide that you will open the door. For single people who desire marriage, no one has come that is fit for them. May you give them a heart to be able to continue asking and seeking and knocking. For people in our midst trusting you, O oh God, for physical and material needs, for people that are standing in front of walls, or an ocean of water and there is no way through. The wall is too high to jump up. Part the waters. Break down the barriers. Make provision physically and materially. As they ask you, as they seek, as they knock. For someone who is broken hearted, you are God who is close to the broken hearted. As they ask and seek for healing, hear them and answer them, O oh God. And mend broken hearts. You are a very good, good, loving Father. So good that no one will ever come to you and ask for bread and you give them stone. No, you will not give us that which harms us. You are not malicious. No one will ever come to you and ask for fish, something that could sustain our life, and then you give a serpent. No. No child of yours will come to you and ask for an egg, and then you give them a scorpion. From a loving father, we receive loving gifts. And the greatest gift that we have received is his Holy Spirit abiding in us. With us, every step of the way, throughout all of our life so that with him in us, with him for us, with him everywhere that we go, we can ask the Father for anything that is in accordance to his will and he will give it unto us. What a promise. What a challenge. It's as if God you are daring ask. Ask of me the nations that they will give them to you. 
Ask of me what you consider to be impossible and I will provide it for you. Ask of me of salvation of people who you know they cannot believe the gospel and I will open that heart, tear out that heart, remove the heart of stone and put a heart of flesh that is responsive to my word. It is as if you are daring us to ask that thing which is paramountly, greatly, absolutely and infinitely impossible in our eyes. What is impossible for us is nothing before you. You are daring us, you are saying, ask and I will give it, seek and you will find, knock and it will be opened unto you. Father, as a church, we are asking for the things that we need, not only individually but corporately, help us and hear us and answer us in accordance to your will. I mean, our confidence is not in people. No, we are grateful that you provide through people. We are grateful that it is through the bosom of people that you pour out a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. But unless you move the hearts of people, nothing can come our way. Father, as we go into this week, help us to do good. Especially to those of the household of faith to do good. Bless those who do good and increase them and nourish them and supply for their need. Help us to do to others as we would want them to do to us. Help them to do, help us to do good to everyone that you bring our way. Whether we feel they deserve it or not, but if you move us by your spirit, may we do it. We thank you for the precious promises in your word and the testimony of your people that these things that you say, they are true. They are right. They are noble. We have tested and seen that the Lord is good. We look forward to more testing this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you for listening to God's Word today. Feel free to contact the pastor on phone at 0705-581-369 or send an email to pastor at onelifechurch.ug or follow us on Facebook at One Life Church and subscribe to our YouTube channel at One Life Church Kampala, Uganda. One Life Church is a multicultural community of believers equipped to serve Christ's mission.